It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Vikings. Your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. Locked on Vikings on the Locked on Podcast Network, Wednesday edition. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Sage Rosenfels joins as always on Wednesdays. You can find him on Twitter at Sage Rosenfels 18. Also find his work on thescore.com. Sage, back from the East Coast, I presume. How was the Philly Green Bay game on Monday? Well, to be honest with you, it was sort of boring uh, that the team scored three touchdowns in the first quarter and then uh, just sort of slowly, uh, you know, the Packers scored a few more touchdowns after that. But uh, it was not an exciting football game. And obviously the Packers uh, came out on top over the Eagles. And, and uh, you know, it was the first time I'd been in, in Philadelphia Stadium as a fan. That is a new experience for me to go into these stadiums I used to play in and obviously sit in the stands and, park in the back of the parking lot and walk 15 minutes to the game. All those are new experiences for me. But uh, it, it was a nice evening. It was chilly. And, uh, and Aaron Rodgers brought his team through. Did you get a sense that Philadelphia fans are going through the same thing Vikings fans are after their rapid hot start, exceeding expectations, and then a very rapid decline? No, I think it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, one, they've got a rookie quarterback, who, you know, Carson Wentz, who I really do like. And I know a lot of people from Minnesota have followed him for a long time since he was from over there in North Dakota. Uh, but uh, I really do like him. They just don't have much of a team. I mean, they don't have much for a receiver core. Their offensive line is worse than the Vikings, actually, in my opinion. Um, and uh, and, and their, their defense isn't as good either. So, you know, that team started off hot and, and sort of found ways to win. But I, I really don't think they were a playoff team at all. They just sort of happened to get lucky and, and win some football games. And so they're not going to go to the playoffs. They're in a very tough division, obviously, that, that NFC East uh, with Dallas and, and Washington and, and, uh, and the New York Giants. Those three teams might make the playoffs, and, and Philadelphia obviously is not going to. Yeah, that win on Monday for Green Bay actually helped out the Vikings in those wild card standings. Vikings play tomorrow night, a chance to move to 7-5 and five against the Dallas Cowboys. So a couple news items from yesterday. The Vikings injury report looking a little bit better. Harrison Smith and Captain Munderland were active after missing Monday's practice. Marcus Sherrills did not practice. I doubt he'll play. Sharif Floyd still out. That's been lingering for a few months. But I think uh, of most consequence, Joe Berger, a guy that you really like, is in the concussion protocol. It looks like Nick Easton, the center out of Harvard, will probably be starting the game against Dallas. Now, Pat Shermer spoke glowingly of Easton when I asked him about him on Monday. But changing centers can't be easy, Sage. I mean, that's like the quarterback of the line. That's the guy who's calling out all the signals, and there's a lot of communication there, right? 
Yeah, there is a lot of communication, and, and there has to be communication between the center and, and all the offensive linemen, and sometimes that includes the tight ends and even the fullback. And obviously there's communication with the quarterback. Everybody has to be on the same page. They're really the one that sort of sets everything up, uh, whether it's the run game or the pass game. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on that, on that center. And on top of it, uh, there has to be, uh, you know, a familiarity with uh, the way he snaps the ball with Sam Bradford. That's another challenge is, is you know, you work so much with your, your one center. Uh, it's, it's, you get very used to, you know, that type of snap. And then, you know, every, and every center snaps the ball differently. So, uh, obviously, that's going to be a little bit of something that Sam's going to have to probably spend some extra time on this week in practice to get used to a new center. Let's get into the minutia of center quarterback exchanges. That sounds interesting. So would you say that there is more room for error in shotgun snaps or under center snaps? Shotgun snaps. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you're just catching the ball coming back. So, so it doesn't really matter which you know center does it. Though I will say there are some centers that you know snap the ball a little bit faster and you have to be a little bit more prepared uh, you know, like a catcher in baseball, you have to be ready, you know, for anything. So, uh, but if, if he snaps the ball well from shotgun, there should be no issue. But yeah, under center, uh, there is a preciseness to, to how that works. And, you know, centers move sometimes, you know, when they, they're snapping and moving at the same time. And so you're an outside zone play where they're trying to reach a, uh, a nose tackle or reach a three technique, and they're on the run before the ball is snapped. You have to sort of, as they say, ride to the center and move your hands with him as, as they move in. And, and there's other plays where you know, you're going one way and the center's blocking back on some sort of counter or, or some sort of pulling, you know, guard play. And, and that's a different feel as well. So as I said, you know, the, the reps in practice will help this week. I'm sure they'll be, they'll be fine by Sunday. That's got to be one of those little details that the average fan never catches on to is that the center quarterback exchange, probably a little bit harder than it appears. Random question and I promise it's going somewhere. How wide is the football field? Do you know off the top of your head? I think it's 53 and a third yards. 53 and a third yards. So Adrian Peterson yesterday was on the field running sprints of approximately 26 and three quarters yards because he was going about half the width of the field. So Peterson shows his face uh, on a practice field yesterday for the first time in quite a while. He looked pretty good, Sage. I mean, he was running... Close to, I would say, full speed at minimum three quarters, but running very well, didn't show much duress on that knee. I think his return is on the horizon, if not a week from Sunday, for sure the week after that on the 18th of December. You think he's going to help this running game at all? You know, it's just too hard to tell. I mean, it's to me, it's a little bit scary to come back from an injury uh, that takes, you know, three or so months to heal and and just sort of start running uh, in front of everybody else and, and to come back at the end of the season, you know, where the fields are in bad shape a lot of times. And, and uh, you know, if it, I think a lot will depend if the Vikings are still in the playoff hunt. You know, if they lose their next couple of games, I can't imagine Adrian coming back. I, th- I can't imagine the team wanting him to come back. Uh, of course, there's always that issue of what's going to happen next year with him with his big contract. But you know, I think there's a lot that goes into that decision, what's best for Adrian, what's best for the team, what's best for the team long-term and short-term. Uh, you know, we will see what happens. But, uh, you know, I, I think if he was healthy and he was 100%, which I don't think he'll be, uh, I think he would help that running game. I mean, anything will help that running game at this point. 
It's pretty easy to talk oneself in a circle with the Adrian Peterson thing because on one hand, he's suffered this knee injury. He's probably losing a little bit of value by missing most of this season. And he did not look good in the first two games he played this season. So in one sense, you got to think, well, in Adrian's mind, he wants to rehabilitate as much of that stock as he can so he can maybe cash in on a higher number of that salary. Certainly the Vikings are will not be willing to pay him $18 million, but maybe if he shows that he's still got it over the last three, four games, maybe he can get half that from the Vikings. And certainly there's the other side where you say, well, he's possibly going into a free agent situation if the Vikings don't retain him. He doesn't want to risk anything further happening to that knee. So I think uh, in terms of value, it could really work both ways for Adrian. Yeah, it really could. And and I think at the end of the day, the key thing for Adrian is that he can't get hurt if he does play. Uh, if he goes in there, plays, gets hurt, that really you know screws him for next year with the Vikings or anybody else. Uh, I can't imagine almost anybody wanting to pay him that much. If he gets hurt, and, and he may not even be able to play next year, you know, if it's some sort of ACL or something like that, at least at least the first half of the year. So uh, there's that aspect of it. But if he is healthy, he needs to go out and prove that uh, he still is a, a top back because, as you said, he did almost nothing. I think it was about 50 yards total uh, those first two games of the season. So not only does he have to prove that he's healthy, but he has to prove that he has uh, value and a lot of value because nobody pays running backs anymore. I mean, it just does not happen. I mean, much less $18 million. Very rarely do people even pay running backs uh, 7 or $8 million anymore. There's only a couple guys in the league uh, that really get paid big money, and, and there's a lot of teams that are going to, you know, two running backs that are, you know, each making two or three hundred or two or three million dollars a year rather than one guy making 10 or 12. It's funny to listen the way that we're describing the running back in today's NFL and then think back to the Herschel Walker trade back in 1989. Imagine how ridiculed a team would be if they gave up what the Vikings gave up for Herschel Walker 27 years ago. And the Vikings give up a first-round pick in 1990, second-round pick in 1990, first-round pick in 91, second-round pick in 91, second-round pick in 92, first-round pick in 93 – they absolutely got fleeced in that trade. And I think at the time, a lot of people felt like the Vikings had made somewhat of a good deal, which is astonishing. And then for them to only get two and a half years out of Walker, and then ironically for Walker to end up back in Dallas at the end of his career, just one of the most cringeworthy deals in NFL history. Well, yeah, and then you can add that deal to the uh, Mike Dick, uh, Ricky Williams uh, you know, trade up in the draft to get Ricky when he gave up the entire draft to move up. I think that was 1999, and uh, and obviously that didn't work out great for New Orleans either. And and uh, yeah, it was, it's a it's a different uh, age, a different day of of the, the value of a running back. You know, I grew up watching the NFL, watching you know Walter Payton uh, and guys like that who were you know that the team really just just kept feeding that guy the ball, and they were getting 35 carries a game, 30. 35 carries that uh, seemed like every single football game. And, and you really just relied on that, that one player uh, to, to bring you through. And, uh, you know, defenses have gotten so much better at stopping the run, whether it's scheme or whether it's just, you know, strength and size and speed of defenders that it, ha- it has become more of a passing game. The rules have also gone that way. Uh, but I think also uh, just with the size of these defenders and the size of the, uh, the hits 
that occur, running backs just don't last very long. They just rarely get into their 30s. And, you know, Adrian's one of those really rare specimens. Uh, he just has unbelievable DNA uh, that allows him to play, you know, at the age that, that he is at. Uh, and, uh, you know, you wonder, like a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who the Vikings are about to face, you know, he seems to have sort of that special DNA as well where, he can take a lot of punishment and, and is ex- yet extremely fast, extremely strong, powerful. Uh, but you wonder, you know, can he do this for another 10 years? Yeah, I have, a, I have a question about Elliot. But before that, I want to remind folks that if they want to be in the building Thursday night, Vikings Cowboys, the place that they have to go is Seat Geek, S E A T G E E K, the best source to get up close and in person to the games you want this season, whether you're courtside, club seats, upper level, whether you want to be down close to the field tomorrow night at U.S. Bank Stadium, just download the SeatGeek app on your phone like I have, and you'll discover quickly that it's the easiest way to shop for tickets. You can be anywhere, and you can buy the tickets in just a few taps. You get the best deals on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites and identifying value in that manner, helping you get the most bang for your buck and getting tickets that can fit your budget. Just get on there. You see the little green dots, yellow dots, red dots. It tells you where the value is at on those tickets. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate on their first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how you get it. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code LOVIKINGS and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOVIKINGS today. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. So we've been talking about Elliot, and I think he's kind of the next best thing in the NFL. And since Adrian Peterson came into the league in 2007 and quickly established himself as the best back in the National Football League, there have been a lot of people come onto the scene, a lot of very talented running backs who I think people assumed were going to be the next Adrian Peterson or the next hot ticket item in the NFL. And I think a lot of them, for one reason or another, whether it's been injury, changing teams, losing a step, no one has been able to sustain the track record that Adrian Peterson has, whether it's uh, Arian Foster, whether it's Jamal Charles, I think people thought Todd Gurley was going to be the next AP. Even before the season, people were tossing around that comparison. And he's really fallen off this year. So now it's Elliot. Can Elliot be that guy? Or is Adrian Peterson just so special in that he was able to sustain his pace for a solid decade? Well, I think, one, Adrian Peterson is extremely special. And I used to say to people, you know, AP does, People say he's one in a million. He's one in a billion. I think there's only a few people on this planet that have, uh, you know, the, the muscle, you know, fabric or however you say it, you know, the, the way his body is made. Uh, he's so extremely fast. He's so extremely strong. 
there's just a few people out there that you know have that type of ability. And and I think what really helped out AP for a long time and what hurt him this year, other than the injury, uh, was that he had a fairly good offensive line. Uh, you know, some years better than others, but you know, for a while he had to be behind guys like Matt Burke and Steve Hutchinson and and Big Bryant McKinney and. Uh, you know, John Sullivan was there for a long time and still Lold Holt and, you know, some big, strong offensive line uh, lines that he ran behind. And, and obviously this year, that that's a different story that hurts him. Well, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, and I think that that might be his, whether he's as, you know, special as AP or not, I'm not sure if it matters. Uh, he's got that offensive line. If they can stay together for a long time, he is going to put up some really, really big numbers, you know, for a long time. I think he's going to run for between 1,300 and 1,600 yards for the next, you know, six or seven or eight years uh, because of the offensive line as much as him. So he's a phenomenal back, but I'm not sure if he'd be, you know, averaging maybe 50 yards a game uh, if he was behind, say, the, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles or the Minnesota Vikings offensive line right now. I mean, he's, he's very, very good. But that offensive line in Dallas makes all the difference. And fortunately for the rest of the league, there is a salary cap that should keep the the competitive balance sort of intact because Dallas can't pay that entire line. There's a lot of young former first-round picks on that line who are going to demand top dollar, and they're probably going to have to pick and choose who they keep. So in the coming years, I think that line is probably going to be broken up and distributed amongst the league, and then maybe some other teams will have better lines. Dallas probably can't keep it forever, but for the time being, I mean, that's a special unit, and the Vikings will have to cope with it on Thursday night. I'm curious, Sage, we we never get to talk on Saturdays, so I never get to ask you this question. What do teams do the day before the game? Because there's no media access. We're not going to a practice. I I don't think they're practicing in full the day before the game, but they're not traveling. They're probably at the facility. What's going on today at Winter Park? Yeah, so for a home game, um, it is a little bit different than away games, obviously. You know, for a home game to come in, you're sort of regular time. I, I feel like most coaches let you sleep in just a little bit on Saturday. You know, if your means start at 7.30, maybe you start at 8 or even 8.30 on a, on a Saturday morning. Um, you have those meetings. You watch Friday's practice, which is supposed to be your, your sort of cleanup practice, and you go through all the different aspects uh, of the game, whether it's red zone, two minutes, um, goal line, short yardage, obviously just first down, second down, third down type plays. You sort of go through all these different aspects of the game on Friday. Well, on Saturday, you watch all those things. You don't really install anything new. You know, occasionally a coach will have something he thought of in the middle of the night or, you know, something that he'd like to maybe add to the game plan. But for the most part, everything is completely in place and you're just reviewing, uh, you know, Friday's practice. Uh, you, you, then after maybe a couple hours of watching film, you go out and you do a walkthrough. I mean, I mean a true walkthrough. I mean, some teams you can wear sandals in these walkthroughs. Uh, usually the defense is by themselves and the offense is by themselves. So you go out and you do some sort of walk through you walk through the the first 10 plays of the game you know every every team I was on had a what they call a script uh top 10 or even a top 15 uh play script where these are plays that the coaches definitely wanted to call in the first quarter of the game you know obviously there wasn't uh you know third down plays or goal line short yards plays within those first 15 but these are just general plays and obviously it starts as the top few they're definitely going to call right off the bat uh, but these general plays that they'd like to call on first and first down and second down, regular down and distance in the first quarter. So 
Uh, they, they do that because they, do, they don't want anything, uh, any mental errors at all early in a football game. That's extremely important. I mean, there's nothing worse than going out and, you know, you're, you're, you're one uh, first down into the game and you have to call a timeout because somebody screwed up a formation. So uh, they get those formations and everything correct. Uh, that walkthrough ends and, and you're really free to go home. It's actually one of those times. Let's say this is generally a Saturday, but uh, you can go home and relax with your family and, you know, watch some college football. Uh, it always seemed like my kids had stuff to do or, you know, we'd go, uh, if it was Halloween time, we'd be off on a pumpkin patch or something. You actually get a little family time on, on Saturday afternoon. Then uh, Saturday evening, you come back to the hotel, uh, you have dinner, you know, say around, uh, you know, six o'clock or so. And you'd have meetings again um, from, oh, I don't know, 7.30 to 8.30 or 9. Uh, at the hotel, usually you have some offensive meetings and defensive meetings that split up in different rooms. And then it sort of wraps up with a head coach's meeting, uh, say around, uh, you know, 9 o'clock or, you know, 8.45 for about 15 minutes. So let's talk about some things that they want accomplished, a little motivational speech, maybe a video, something like that. Uh, and then after that, it's, uh, you know, team snack and, and off to bed. And uh, usually uh, there's some sort of a bed check, to be honest with you. I, I, usually it's like a 10 o'clock bed check. So you're in your room and, and probably, you know, watching some college football again. You get a knock on the door and, Coach pops in their head just to make sure you're in there. So and next thing you know, it's, uh, it's morning time and, and off to the races uh, on game day. So that's a, that's a general Saturday, which is a general, uh, I guess, a general Wednesday on a Thursday night game. Which coach gets charged with the bed check? Is it the head coach or is it like the assistant to the assistant to the assistant of the special teams coordinator? Usually it's every, again, every, every uh, team is different. I, I feel like uh, you know, I look back. You know, like a Gary Kubiak's team, every week was a different coach, a different position coach. So, uh, you know, that one was responsible. I think some teams would split it up and, you know, some coach has this floor, this coach has this floor. Uh, Tom Coughlin did every room by himself. That was, that was his duty. He was, you know, saying uh, good night to everybody. Uh, and then for some teams it was, yeah, it wasn't even a coach. It was some sort of, uh, you know, assistant to the assistant to the assistant who was walking around doing all the dirty work. So, Every team did it differently, but every team that I was on uh, did have a bed check, uh, you know, around 10 o'clock at night. Interesting. All right, let's dig into some X factors that we're looking at to really impact this game. We like to talk about X factors in the post game, but let's label a few guys we're watching for in the pregame. Who's going to be important for the Vikings on offense? Who's going to be important for the Vikings on defense? And I'll start with the defense. I think Brian Robison slash Daniil Hunter, who's ever playing that left defensive end spot, is going to be vital. I feel like if there's any kind of weak link on that Dallas offensive line, it might be the right tackle, Doug Free, who's been really good in this league for a while, but he's getting pretty old. And I think the Vikings can maybe find a way to come around that edge and get to Prescott. Now, the key is if they get to Prescott is containing him because he can make plays with his legs. I think Daniil Hunter needs to have another big game. He really broke out against Arizona two weeks ago. They need to get him rushing the passer once again if indeed they put Prescott in some passing situations. Sage, your thoughts? Well, I've got two sort of two position groups. Uh, one is the interior defensive line for the Vikings. I think they have to do whatever they can to stop the run on first and second down. Not worried about the be, not be worried about the pass so much, but they have to stop the run on first and second down. That is, if there's a weakness to this Vikings defense, it's, it's stopping the run. And, uh, and so that's going to be very, very important uh, for them because of what, uh, what Dallas does offensively. 
You know, number two is Xavier Rhodes. I, I think Xavier Rhodes is going to be all over Des Bryant the entire game. Uh, that's He is the hands down the number one wide receiver for them. He is the, the one-on-one matchup guy. And, and I think the Vikings are going to play a lot of single safety defense. They're going to, whether it's Harrison Smith or whoever's playing opposite safety him this week, uh, he, he is going to be down in the box to stop that run, which means a lot of single High, uh, a lot of, a lot of singled up man to man on the outside. And to me, Xavier, Xavier Rhodes does Bryant matchup is absolutely huge. He has to win, you know, the majority of those battles if the Vikings defense wants to stop this very, very good Dallas offense. On the offensive side, it's tough to not watch Stefan Diggs. I think it's going to be a real opportunity for Diggs to put up some yardage. It looks like Morris Claiborne, the former first round pick, former LSU Tiger, is not going to play in this game. So that leaves the Cowboys a little shorthanded in the secondary. It is not that good of a secondary either. Dallas certainly makes their hay on offense. The defense may be a bit susceptible. Can they work the ball to Diggs and maybe get it to him a little bit further downfield? There were a couple plays earlier in the season, especially against Green Bay that I can think of, where they got the ball to Diggs on the run and he was able to make a lot of great plays going downfield. It seems like they use him now on a lot of curls and a lot of comebacks, plays where it's tough to maximize his yards after catchability. If they can get it to him in stride a little further downfield, I think Stefan Diggs could have a really big day. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I hope that the Vikings run more concepts where it is catch uh, and, and run after catch type things, and you're right, you know, those curl routes uh, or hook routes, you know, depending on what, what team calls them, now, those are coming back to the quarterback, and there's usually not a lot of run after catch in those situations. So whether it's slants or, or uh, in cuts or, or you know dig cuts or whatever, uh, those would be nice to, to catch and, and get on the run. Now, one thing the Vikings uh, you know need to do is, is expose this Dallas defense. I think this defense is average, maybe average at best. Uh, I think they're statistically they're better than uh, they actually are, just because their offense is so good and their offense is on the field all the time and and teams struggle to stop their run, which keeps that defense off the field. And so I really think this defense is very, very average, and that's, uh, uh, this is a chance where the Vikings offense can, can have a good game, uh, and they have to have a really good game if this, if this Vikings team wants to win this football game. Well, let's put you on the spot. We won't talk to you tomorrow, so we're going to get your prediction now. Do the Vikings pull the shocker, and do they resuscitate their playoff hopes? I think so. I actually think so. I think they're going to play well at home, and it's a Thursday night game. It's a, it's a special game, uh, I think, and they'll be hyped for it. Uh, they, they played so well early in the year, you know, playing in prime time on Thursday night. So I think the Vikings are going to win this game. I think they're going to win it 24-17. Uh, to 17. I also have a very good feeling about this game, and I also think the Vikings are going to win. I'm, I'll reserve my final score for tomorrow's show where I'll talk with Drew Davison of Locked On Cowboys, but I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and agree with you. I think the Vikings are going to just have one of those perfect games where they get off to a quick start and they'll really challenge Dak Prescott to make plays. And the Vikings have a good enough secondary with Terrence Newman back and Xavier Rhodes playing at a high level. I think they can do it. We're both going out on a limb here, Sage. We might have egg on our face on Friday. Well, this is a big game for the Vikings. I think this is uh, a must-win for them. Almost every game is a must-win for them, you know, from here on out. And I also think that you know Dallas has been on such a run. You know, at some point uh, they're gonna they're gonna you know throw out a stinker you know, type of game and, and just not play well. And maybe Dak will finally 
know, have a game where he has two or three turnovers and Elliott maybe fumbles the ball or something. I, I just feel like Dallas is just sort of ready to be upset and, and the Vikings need this game more than Dallas does. And if you look at some of the great teams across history, you know, there's always a slip up in there and it usually happens on the road. You know, Carolina last year, 15 and one, they go into Atlanta and they lose the think back to the 98 Vikings. They lose in Tampa Bay, the 15 and one Packers of 2011 lost in Kansas city. Just a random road game mixed in there. There's it's always tough as a great team to go on the road. And I think this is a perfect storm for the Vikings to pull off the upset. So we'll see if it happens Thursday night, and then we'll have the, the recap show Friday morning with Sam and Sage. For now, Sage, have a great day. You too. He's Sage. I'm Sam. This is Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Follow the network on Twitter at Locked On Network. Follow me at Sam Ekstrom. Follow Sage at Sage Rosenfels 18. Thanks for listening, everybody. Drew Davison joins in the morning. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.